I'm just kidding. Um, but anger is an emotion that everybody, I mean, whether it be believer or unbeliever, doesn't matter. Everybody experiences anger. Now, this is not one of those messages where I come out and tell you I've got it all figured out, do what I do. Matter of fact, I don't know if I've ever preached one of those messages. But this is one of those messages where I have to admit I struggle uh, with anger. I have, I have battles with anger just like everybody else. But when I'm struggling with it, I've noticed something. I've noticed that when I'm angry, I am the worst version of me when I'm angry. You know, and with all the crazy stuff going on right now, it just seems like everybody's angry. Have you guys noticed that? seems like everybody is angry about, about something. Now, what's troubling to me is not that the world is angry. I have no expectations for the world at large. I, just, I don't have any expectations for them. But what troubles me is that believers seem to be just as angry as unbelievers, as the rest of the world. And, and, and that really, really, I mean, that troubles me because we are supposed to be God's appointed voice of peace and love here on this earth. That's what we're supposed to be. And yet, that's not what I've seen Christians being. And, and it bothers me. I'm going to be honest with you. I have personally heard and seen Christian people say and post some of the most terrible things. Um, and you're probably thinking, oh, great, he's going to get on to us. And the answer is you're right. But I've, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've heard it, right? I've heard Christians say things like, yeah, that person just deserves to be shot. And I'm thinking to myself, literally when I read and, see and hear these things, it makes my heart hurt. It hurts my feelings to think that we would feel that way. And here's why. Anyone that knows how terrible hell is, why would you say something like that? Why would anyone want anyone to be in some place as terrible as that? And we don't know those people you're saying that about, whether, you know, where they stand with God. I just can't, I, I can't understand that. I've, I've heard and I've seen posts where Christians exploit people's past sins. How can people who believe in grace and redemption do that? Listen, if you want to talk about someone's past sins, I can give you a novel of my own you can talk about. But I just, I saw those things and it really started bothering me. And, and I keep thinking, why, why are we doing this? Why is this happening? And, and the answer is pretty simple. It's just that, that they're giving in to their anger. That's what's happening. In Proverbs twenty nine twenty two, it says, an angry man stirs up strife. Is that not true? An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression, which means sin. Okay? So today we're going to take a, take a look at, and we're going to discuss a little bit, just the danger of giving in to our anger. Now, first of all, I'm going to tell you something that sounds a little bit strange. Anger is not a sin. And you guys are all going, wait a minute, then what's this sermon about? Right? But anger in and of itself, look at this, Ephesians 4.26. It says, be angry, and yet what? Do not sin. So that tells us that at least there is a capability within us to, to, to not be sinning when we're angry, right? It says, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Listen, this is important. If you're following along in your Bible, underscore this. And do not give the devil an opportunity. See, anger becomes sin when we allow it to control our lives. When it takes us over and makes us do things that are opposing to what God would have us to do, right? Whenever we allow anger to take control, control of our lives, that's when it becomes sin, because here's the thing. You either learn to control your anger, or your anger will control you. I mean, that's just how simple it is. Either control it, or it will control you, right? And, 
And the longer you struggle, the worse it gets. Okay, and here's the thing I don't think people understand. When anger controls your life, faith has a problem finding its place in your life. Because faith and anger don't coexist that well. Right? So when, when anger is in control, faith is struggling to find its way around in your lives. And the longer that that happens, the longer that anger is the dominant emotion in your life, you're going to find that the greater the opportunity you give the devil. Because here's the thing, the devil knows what we like when we're angry. And people always say, well, can he read my mind? I'm like, no, you're not that hard to read. He can watch you for five seconds and find out what, what happens when you're angry, right? He knows what pleases the flesh when we're angry. Let's be honest, sometimes it just feels good when you're mad to tell somebody off, doesn't it? It may not feel good for long, but it does feel good for a little bit, right? So I've heard anyway, right? Sometimes, if you're that kind of person, swearing at somebody might make you feel good, right? I, I don't know. Sometimes violence. Some people feel like if they can be violent when they're angry, that just feels good to them. And let's just be honest, that's the flesh. That's who we are apart from God. That's, that's who we are. Sometimes it feels good just to talk about somebody when you're mad. Have you ever noticed that somebody will be mad about uh, someone else? And they will make up the most wild, crazy stories about them. Talk about them like a dog. Talk to everyone they run into about that person except that person. I'm like, you're going to save so much oxygen on this world if you would have just went and, and, and talked to that specific person. But this is, this is what the enemy knows we love to do when we're angry. And, and he, he tempts us the longer we allow anger to take control in our lives. Right? Here's the thing. The devil knows that when we're angry, all of us are the worst version of ourselves. He knows that. It's just the truth. When we're angry, all of us are the worst version of ourselves, And that's why God actually put a time frame on how long you should allow anger a place in your life. Look at this again, Ephesians 4.27. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let what? The sun go down on your anger. This means don't let the day end with anger controlling you. Don't let the day end with anger controlling you. Because the longer you let it hang around, the greater the danger. The greater the danger of you doing or saying or posting something you will regret. Okay, that's, it's just true. Listen, anger never makes you do anything you're proud of. Have you noticed that? Never. It doesn't make you do anything that you're proud of. Can anyone in here think back in a time in their life that they're really proud of and anger was the source of that pride? Some of you probably could. That's what's scary. But if you, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look back on the things I've done when I'm angry, pride is not the word I would use to describe it, right? It never makes you do anything that you're proud of, okay? Which takes us into this next point, and this is something very important. I don't think we understand, and I love how James puts this. See, James 1.19, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger slow to anger now listen to this this is another one of those underscore moments you can underscore this in your bible for the anger of man does not achieve what the righteousness of god so james is really really clear in his assessment about the anger of man all right because god's righteousness cannot be achieved through or by human anger okay so think about that for a second that means that the decisions you make when you're angry are bad. They're sin. 99% of the time. 
The actions you take, the statements you make in human anger are generally going to be sin. Because the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Right? Now listen, I've had people tell me before when I say that. Now hold on. They say, hold on a second. I know that there have been angry people that have said stuff that's still true. And my answer to that is, you're right. There are angry people that sometimes say things that are true. But here's the thing. When we speak the truth out of anger, it loses its potency or its, or its effectiveness when we say it out of anger. Listen to this, Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no unwholesome word, some of your Bibles might say filthy communication, corrupt communication, whatever. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need for the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. So we know we're talking to believers here. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So it's interesting. It says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, right? Now, unwholesome in the Greek means harmful, corrupt, or harsh. And harmful, corrupt, and harsh words are the words that we speak in anger. Okay, those are the words that we speak in anger. And angry words intimidate people and make people defensive. When you come at somebody with the truth and you come at them in anger, they're not going to listen to a word you have to say. They're not going to receive it, even if it is true, because that anger that they see burning in you when you say it puts up their their self-defense mode, number one. Or it intimidates them or makes them scared. And you can tell them truth all day long, but that angry attitude, that angry personality that's come at them has made it to where they're, they're in fight or flight mode. They're not listening to anything you're saying anyway. They're just trying to see how to deal with the crazy angry person in front of them. That's what it is. You're not, they're not going to listen to you when you're in that mode. So when you, treat, when you speak the truth in anger, it's, it's worthless because people don't receive angry words well. Now, if you want people to hear the truth and process it, speak the truth in love. Okay, now, the verse I'm about to read is usually used in weddings, and I don't know why it's only used in weddings, but it usually is. But it means so much more. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said love looks like. Okay, you guys have probably heard this. Love is patient, right? Love is kind. Love is not jealous, right? Does not brag and is not what? Arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own is not what is not what okay so love isn't easily provoked to anger okay love is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered. do you know what that means do you know what that means it means that love doesn't hold grudges love doesn't ouch right love doesn't hold grudges Let me say this again. Not that anybody struggles with this. But love doesn't hold grudges. It does not take into account a wrong suffer. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Listen to me. What what that means is when something bad is happening to someone else, when someone is struggling as the result of unrighteousness, that should not be a point of excitement or joy for you or something's wrong with your heart. Seeing someone suffer, seeing someone go through difficult times because of unrighteousness that shouldn't be something that makes you happy if it does you got problems okay 
It says it rejoices with the truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never what? Fails. And all these reflections of love that we read here disappear from us when we get angry. They disappear from us. They disappear from our words. Right? Listen, they disappear from our actions. Right? They even disappear from our thoughts. Right? Anger makes love disappear. Think about that. Love is patient. How many patient, angry people do you know? No, no, take your time. Right? Doesn't happen. How many kind, angry people do you know? Let me open the door for you. (laughs) Then I'm going to beat this guy up. It destroys love. Anger destroys love, even in our thoughts. Have you ever had your thoughts so consumed with anger that you lay awake, excited till you see that person? Have you? Anybody? (laughs) I was hoping. You didn't have to confess, but I enjoyed that you did. Yeah, have you ever laid there thinking, oh, I can't wait till I go to work. You know what I'm going to tell that guy? Have anybody done that? Anybody done that? We have, haven't we? Right? That is not love. That's anger starting to take control of you, even taking control of your your thoughts. Right? So it's something we have to remember. If you're going to give in to anger, you're going to say goodbye to love. Right? Now listen to this. This is going to go a little deeper. I want you to stay with me. Anger also diminishes, listen, diminishes the value of humanity. And you hear that and you think, wow, that's kind of deep. It's, it's true. Stick with me. See, Jesus, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, talked about so many topics. And so often we read through it and don't actually take the time to see what he was talking about. Uh, but in 521, Jesus discussed personal relationships. Okay, so this is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus, red letter, talking about personal relationships. Matthew 521. He said, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is what? Angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be... (laughs) I might have heard that a time or two. You good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. This is still probably talking about man's court. This is probably talking about the Sanhedrin here, right? That was the reigning Jewish court at that time. It says, and whoever says you fool, now listen to this, shall be guilty enough, this is important, guilty enough to go into the what? Fiery hell. Now you guys keep thinking, hey, pastor, that's got to mean something different in the Greek. Here's what it means in the Greek. Fiery hell. That's what it means in the Greek. I'll explain that, okay? Now, the Jewish rabbis instilled the law into the hearts and minds of the Jews. They knew it. From the time they were little up, they knew it. They intimately, uh, intimately knew the law. They knew the Ten Commandments. They knew all this by heart. And the law, one thing the law made very plain, the law was very specific about how God valued all human life. It was, it was very specific about that. And to, to do anything that would take human life would was against the will of God. Exodus 20, 13, one of the commandments, says you shall not murder. Now, all those people out there who say, when you read your Bible, thou shalt not kill, they say, so should you hunt? Let me clarify something to you. The word is not kill in the Hebrew. The word means murder. Okay? 
So Exodus 20, 13 says, you shall not murder. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees took things very literal. Right now, were the Pharisees and Sadducees nice to anybody that you're aware of? When you read about them, who gave Jesus and the disciples more problems than the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Was anyone more mean to the people who were trying to convert or who were even questioning conversion? No, I mean, they took things very literal, and they thought, listen, I know God values life, and as long as I don't take one, I'm good with God. As long as I don't murder somebody, I am showing God that I value life. I'm fulfilling this, right? But Jesus was explaining that, that valuing human life was deeper than just not killing people. That's what he was trying to say here. See, sadly, I think we often forget that everyone created is very important and precious to God. And he wants you to care a little more about them than just not killing them. You say, well, I'm good to people. I've never killed nobody. I don't think that's the, I don't, you know, I don't think that's the standard. But this is what they felt. They, the Jews felt, the Jewish leaders felt like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If, if they didn't kill somebody, they, they kept this. Physically taking a life, don't take me wrong, is a blatant disregard for God's creation and the value of God's creation. Everybody agrees on that. But Jesus wanted them to know that you can disregard human lives in other ways and it still results in sin because those lives are important. Listen, Jesus wanted them to know you can devalue human life by the way you treat people. You can devalue human life by the way that you treat people. And what example did he use when he says, that you shouldn't treat people bad, he used someone who was angry. When you are angry with your brother. Because no one who's angry with someone else treats them well. Think about it. Do you want to hang out with angry people? If you know somebody's furious, is that the guy you want to have coffee with? No, because generally there's a lot of wreckage around angry people. You know what I mean? Have you ever been the angry person that... When somebody's coming at you, you're thinking, oh, it's a bad idea for you to come over here. You ever been that guy? You know, I swear that's when my phone rings every time. I'm working on something, it's going wrong, my knuckles are bleeding, I'm sunburned, and the phone rings, and somebody goes, what you doing? And I'm like, planning your death. No, I'm just saying, sometimes, sometimes people... That's the worst you're ever going to treat somebody is when you're angry. So Jesus, when he's saying you devalue human life when you don't treat people well, he says especially when you're angry, you don't treat people well. Right? I mean, nobody likes to be around angry people. Listen, insulting and offending people diminishes the quality and value of their life. It diminishes the quality and the value of their life. He said even name-calling and insults are worthy of judgment. Even name-calling and insults, think about that. Listen, see, the rabbis taught that a murderer was liable for judgment in the human court. Everybody knew that, right? And God actually gave them authority to administer capital punishment in a murder case. So yes, capital punishment is biblical. I don't want to debate it. Genesis 9-6, it says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood, what? Shall be shed. For the... For in the image, listen, for in the image of God, he made man. Okay, now why? Why was that a death sentence? Because you can't make restitution for someone who's dead. You can't bring them back. Right? There's no justice there. You know, that's, that was the thinking. Right? So think about this for a second. 
Jesus was saying that any acts of, of internal anger are liable to God's court, just like murder is liable to man's court. Acts of internal anger are liable to God's court. And he said that, that those offensive words and those insulting words are worthy of hellfire. Now, what does that mean? They're worthy of hellfire. Does that mean that if a Christian insults someone, they're going to hell again? You better hope not. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's not what it means. It's not what it means. No believer will ever lose their salvation. We are eternally secure. This is, listen, when you build theology, always build it on what you know, the definites. Here's what's definite, John 6, 47. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes what? Has eternal life, past tense, in possession of eternal life. But what he was saying was, should give us, what, what he's saying about this actually should give us some pause before we, before we say anything out of anger or post anything out of anger or do anything out of anger. What he was saying here should give us some pause because he, what he was saying was that insults and verbal attacks are as worthy of hell as murder. They are. And had that been the only sin you committed and you didn't believe in Jesus? So if you never were, experienced God's grace and the only sin you'd ever committed was being verbally abusive or attacking someone verbally, if that's the only sin you committed, it's still enough to take you to hell. You ever think about that? That's pretty tough. And, and let me explain why. Because that person, no matter what you think about them, no matter how much you like them or don't like them, they were created by God Everyone was created by God. Everyone is precious to Him. And each one, listen, is made like Him. When you judge someone, when you are, are angry at someone and, 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 and call them names and insult them or, or make slurs about them, you are saying something about someone who is created at the hands of God and in the image of God. If, you could, if that was the only thing you'd ever done wrong, would you want to stand before God with that on your heart? Think about that for a second. I don't think we, I don't think we run that through. All right, so maybe we should think about that before we go on our social media rants. Okay, th listen. Maybe we should think about that before we share angry posts. Okay, listen. Someone told me one time, I said, why would you post that? That is terrible. Why would you post that? Well, I didn't. I shared it. I'm going, let me explain something to you. You read a man's hateful, bitter, angry words, and you chose to share them with the world from your page. So you may as well have said them. So before you post, before you speak, before you act, think about this. No matter how bad that person is or how bad you perceive that person to be, God created them like him. He loves them. They're precious to him. Are you sure you want to talk about them? Are you sure you want to post about them? Think about that. All right, listen. Had Jesus not died for your sins and all you ever did was be angry enough to talk bad about people, it would be enough to take you to hell. That's something to ponder in your mind, isn't it? Now, I could preach on this for weeks, but listen, I want to make one more point. When we get angry, it actually makes us play God. Did you know that? We try to take his position as judge. We try to take his position as sovereign when we get angry. It makes us 
try to take the place of God. Listen to this, Romans 12, starting in verse 16. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Not, he didn't say never pay back evil for evil unless you think they deserve it. Is that what it says? Never pay back. If someone speaks evil words to you, do you pay them back with evil words? No. If someone is doing something evil, do you pay them back with evil? Absolutely not. Who's he talking about? Everybody. Anyone. He says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. All men. Every man. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Let me break a falsehood here. Some people say, well, as, as far as it depends on me, that means, you know, the Lord knows where I get mad. If I get mad, that's all I can do, and he knows that's who I am, and that, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if there's going to be an outrage or, an, uh, you know, an out, a burst of anger, or if you're going to do something like that, make sure you're not the one causing the break in peace. Make sure it's not you. If there's a break in peace, make sure you're not the one breaking it. That's what he's saying. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. Let's say that again. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. What is this saying? You don't have the right to revenge. You don't have that right because you are not the supreme judge who sees all things. God is. He says, get out of my way, you're out of your lane, let me do my job. Right? Justice falls in the hands of the just. There is only one who is just, and that's God. Okay, very, very important. When someone offends us, I get it. Nothing feels better than revenge. Doesn't it? Be honest. See, but, but when we do that, we're taking God's place, and so we know the moment, that moment we decide to do that, it's not going to turn out well, and that's why the Apostle Paul said we shouldn't take our own revenge. Instead, we're supposed to allow God to handle it in his time and trust him to handle it in his time. That's what we're supposed to do. And here's why. Mankind is incapable of administering true justice. We are incapable of that in and of ourselves. We cannot do it. See, when we're angry, justice seems less important than feeling good about our revenge. That's why we can't ever take it. Here's the, here's the deal. When we seek revenge, we're not really seeking equitable restitution, are we? Think about it. It never works like that. If somebody breaks something of yours, you don't go, well, now I have to break something of yours. You go, I'm going to break every dang thing you own. You will learn not to mess with me. Isn't that what we do? If someone steals from you, you don't want them to pay you back. You want them to pay you back, and you want to take everything they got to teach them not to mess with you. Because pride starts to swell up in that. You see it? It's no longer about, you don't want justice. You want to satisfy your anger. There is no justice in revenge. None. Right? We want people to know, you don't mess with me. That's what we want. That's what we want. So our revenge does not produce justice, only further injustice. Listen, you cannot use injustice to produce justice. It can't be done. It cannot be done. 
And you could give me worldly examples where they say it happened. I say, dig into that Bible and show me where it happened. Because I don't answer to the world, I answer to him. Injustice never leads to justice. It's, it's ridiculous. That's why the psalmist said, just abandon anger. It's going to make you do dumb things. That's the Chris Mosley version. Psalm 37, 8. It says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Anger only leads to harm. You may hear people tell you sometimes it's anger that makes things happen. No, anger only leads to harm. Not my words, God's words. Oh, it takes getting mad to make things happen. No, it takes trusting God to make things happen. Anger leads to harm. Now, Proverbs takes that concept a little bit farther and describes the person who gives in to anger. Ephesians 7, 9. Did I say Proverbs? You know what? That's supposed to be Proverbs, and I wrote Ephesians there, didn't I? That makes me mad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Proverbs 7, 9 says, Do not be eager in your hearts to be angry. Listen, for anger resides where? In the bosom of fools. That means anger is in the heart of fools. People who, who wallow in their anger and love to be angry, they're fools. That, that's what it says. Right? Now, we think that anger makes us look bold and strong in the eyes of everyone else. <laughs> that's not true. Proverbs also tells us that anger is not a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. Look at this, Proverbs 16.32. It says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. He said, basically, the person who can control their temper, the person who can keep control of their temper and, and keep rage outside of the door is more powerful than the general that conquers cities. That's the strength. That he's, that, that, that's the strength. All right, now, I could go on and on about this. You know, time won't permit it. But there is a passage in Psalms that I, I think we all need to observe. Look at this, Psalms 4.4. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Okay? Think about it overnight and remain silent. Well, there's a novel idea. You know what this is saying? When you get mad, don't do anything. Because whatever you're about to do is going to be wrong and probably be sin. Okay, he said, instead, take time and think about it. Now, you know what just crazy idea I have as a Christian? You and I think you might ought to do while you're thinking about that overnight? Pray! Listen, I know you don't think that prayer sounds like a lot of fun when you're ticked at somebody. But it works. It works. If you take the time and pray about it, God will speak truth into your life and reveal to you the foolishness of the actions you're about to take in your anger, and he will keep you from saying, acting on, or posting anything that is going to damage someone else or make people think you're dumber than you are. Okay? That sounds terrible, but I make no apologies. Listen. Now, there's a passage I want to read here. It's from Philippians. And uh, we normally think about this when we're talking about someone struggling or suffering, and I get it. But I want you to think about this in context of when you're praying when you're angry. Okay, think about this. 
Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to, may, be made known unto God. Listen, but in everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Listen, when you're mad, pray what you're mad about. Don't get all righteous. Okay, it drives me crazy. People won't be honest with God. There have been times, and if you want to judge me, judge me. You'll be the millionth in line. But there have been times that I have said, God, you know good and well I want to punch that guy in the face. Repeatedly. When I see him coming, I want to puke. I wish he'd lose his job. I wish he wasn't here. I can't stand him. Everything about that guy I hate. That's why I'm coming to you. Because I know there's nothing I got for him that's going to be any good. So you know how I feel. Help me with how I feel. That's honesty. Because when you go to God and say, Lord, thou knowest I love everyone. (laughs) He's going, do you now? How about the guy you're thinking about punching? You love that guy? You see what I mean? Be honest. Let him know exactly what's going on. And you know what? Just like when you run your mouth when you're angry and regret it, this this is a way you can run your mouth about what you're angry about and not regret it because you're giving it to God. Right? It, it, It even feels good just to say it to him, to be honest with him. Right? And what happens when you do that? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and minds. Protect you from doing something with your heart and mind that you will regret for a long time. All right, listen to this. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, he's saying, now that you've confessed it, you've told me what's wrong, you've told me how you feel, now I want to guard your heart, and here's how I'm going to guard your heart. I want you to change your focus. Stop dwelling on something I'm going to handle. You told me, you were honest, I'll handle it. Now you think about this because you should stop thinking about what makes you angry. You can't do anything about it righteous anyway because the anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Right? Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I dare you to dwell on those things and stay mad. I dare you to dwell on those things and stay mad. Look at the good things, the honorable things, the blessings in your life, and I dare you to stay mad. This is great advice. Listen, in the end of the day, no matter how anger makes us feel and how satisfying it is or may appear to be to lash out when you're angry, what we all really want out of this world is peace, right? Peace and joy. You want to find that? Anger will lead you away from it. God will lead you to it. Listen, I, I, I don't, I don't want to come off as angry. <laughs> but the world is looking to believers to be who they say they are and represent who they say they represent and reflect God in this time of distress. They're looking to us to be the lights we're supposed to be. Before you speak, before you post, before you act, before you share, remember who you are and who you serve. 
first. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always get an invitation. You're going, wow, you're going to bring a bunch of them after preaching that one. But here's the deal. I, I mean, I don't claim to know what God will do with his word, and I know his word moves on our hearts. But if you're one of those people, especially in a trying time like this, who just can't find peace and direction, I have the recipe, and his name is Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what people think of you, what people say about you. He doesn't ask you to quit anything. He doesn't ask you to change anything. He asks you to believe, and he'll make the changes. That's all he asks. And if there's someone here who'd like me to pray for him while every head is bowed, just lift your head and put your, bless that person. I'm going to pray for you. Lift your head or your hand. Bless those people, and I'm going to pray for you. If you're watching online, listening online, bless those people. I, God knows your heart, and I'll be praying for you. But today, I also want to spend some time praying for believers. Remember, when I say this about believers, I, I'm not pointing my finger. You know, listen, if you don't think Chris gets mad, ride with Chris. If I say it in third person, I feel better. Listen, I get angry. I do things I'll regret. It doesn't make it right. But for some reason, God has put this heavily on my heart. Maybe the days are short. But I know this. If you want peace in turbulent times, find it in Jesus, not in anger. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for everything you do. I am amazed. Not a day goes by when I look at my life and think I deserve the love you've shown me. Because I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me why you love me. I let you down every day. I can't even comprehend the kind of love that you have for your creation, but I don't have to. I'm just thankful it's there. And God, if there's someone who doesn't know you as their Savior, I want them to experience that. So whatever's holding them back, whatever's been told to them, whoever's offended them and pushed them away from you, whatever it may be, clear that out of the way and let them only see the love that took you to that cross. Because that's all that matters. And if they can believe that what your son did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, your, your word promises they'll have it. And if they make that decision, I just pray they reach out to us. Or to a good Christian organization or friend near them. But God, for those of us who are believers, you put us here. You left us here to be beacons of light and hope and peace and love. And we're not. But we want to be. So God, don't let us get lost in all this tidal wave of turmoil and anger. Let us remember the promises you've made that no matter what happens, we have the guarantee of eternal life. You've promised to provide for us and protect us. Let us rest in that. And while everyone else is angry and everyone else is bickering and everyone else is fighting, give us the desire to be loving people. When they see us we want them to see your love, your compassion. When they hear us, they, we want them to hear you. God, give us the strength to surrender to you and be the believers you want us to be. Keep us safe, Lord, as we leave here today. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that you would allow us to come back together at least one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory so worthy of. We just thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.